0: Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm James Allgood, one of today's co hosts. I'm in product marketing for Ignite, a secure content platform focused on key global industries.
1: I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, co-founder of Biotech 2050 and one of today's co-hosts as well. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a platform that provides access to the world's life sciences expertise and is the place to discover, build, and manage on-demand life science teams. I'm excited to welcome Todd Zavodnik, the Chief Executive Officer of Dermavent Sciences. Thanks for joining us today, Todd.
2: Thanks for having me, Rahul. It's a pleasure. Thanks, James.
1: Great. And Todd, to start off, we'd love to understand the arc of your career and how you got to where you are today.
2: Be my pleasure. You know, it's been a long road. I think really for me, it started in the Northeast part of the United States in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where I grew up with my family. For sure, gritty, humble beginnings out there in Philadelphia and really was raised with the mindset of that grit of finding a profession you could do well, and, and you could bring back something to the community. And you know, I went to pharmacy school at Rutgers University, so I got my pharmacology and pharmacy degree, and practiced for three years. and And then felt a little bit, you know, the need for more challenge. And my father, who was really my mentor and my role model, um, who has since passed in 2010. You know, said, look, you know, let's start a business. And I was fortunate to be given an opportunity within, at the time, Alcon Labs. And it was really one of the faster growing and global leaders in ophthalmology. And, you know, I was able to spend about 12 and a half to 13 years at Alcon between the US and internationally. Really, after kind of along these steps, realized Alcon afforded me the ability to get my MBA through the University of Texas. And that led me onto my international career where. Really, Alcon has so many great leaders and so many great people and mentors that they were able to help me along in my career and really guide me through not only learning the United States, but in 2005, moving over to the Asian market, which was just booming and eventually work in marketing and eventually lead Alcon China from 2008 to 2012 and live in Beijing and have my kids go to school at the international schools there. And it was really phenomenal. That was really my first steps in my career. Then I had a chance to meet a, an amazing leader and the CEO of Galderma, Umberto in Tunis, who brought me to Switzerland to lead Latin America and eventually Europe, Middle East, and Africa for Galderma. I moved the family from China to Lausanne, Switzerland, really the French part, which is one of the most beautiful places in the world, not hard to live, and had a chance to not just you know, learn APAC as I did with Alcon or the Asia-Pacific region but learn Europe, Middle East, Africa, and Latin America. And as I tell my children, my son is 21 and, and my daughter is 18 in college, is you know, understanding the global impact and understanding that people are more similar than dissimilar across this world is important. So being able to take them to 20 to 30 countries, being able to understand business, culture, and really just see the cities. Of uh, These tier three and tier four countries was really an impact that I hear from my kids will last a lifetime. So, Galderma then brought me back to the United States in 2014, and that was a chance for my children to go to high school in the U.S. And I led the United States and North America for Galderma, and, and again, great experiences. And after that, I, you know, I tried to take a different path. And for me, it was at that point it was about 20 years of bigger companies and. One of the mentors in my life that's had a massive impact is Mark Foley, who's the current CEO at Revance. At the time, he was the CEO of Zeltique, and he offered me to join Whole sculpting and Zeltique as a medtech leader. And I had a chance to run internationally for that company, went on to sell that company to Brent Saunders and Allergan to take it to new heights from where we had it, then moved on to another smaller biotech at Revance, and then ended up here today at Dermavance Sciences. So... For me, the most unique thing, really, as I look at my career and, and really the way I was brought up was my father preached differentiation and really the ability to do that globally. So coming back in this role as CEO of Dermavant, the last three years, I've been able to live and work in all four continents, continents—you know, in Latin America, in Europe, Middle East, Africa, in Asia, in the US, and Canada, be able to understand not only pharmaceutical, but medical tech and consumer pharma and be able to do that across two wonderful areas, which really I look at in ophthalmology, dermatology, both medically and aesthetic-wise. So it's been a great career. I've been blessed to be able to see all parts of the world and, and really understand cultures and the differences around there.
1: Great. Thanks, Todd. Just out of curiosity, you mentioned you know the, the similarities in terms of people across Asia-Pac, US, et cetera. But I'm curious... What similarities have you seen in working environments between Asia-Pac and the US for those listeners that may not have have had that pleasure of working somewhere outside of the US? Absolutely.
2: I mean, look, I'll start with the fact that at the end of the day, you know, I always say great products with great people will win and, you know, if you want to win, it's like any team, you're going to have to hire the right business critical people no matter what. You have to identify what roles are truly business critical in your organization and put the best person in that role and and then kind of get out of their way and let them do great work and form a culture that allows the business to flourish. And whether that's in China or my time in Brazil or my time in Switzerland or France, it's always the same. If you put the right team in the right roles and you allow sort of a healthy, strong culture to flourish. People were going to win every time, and those were the strong similarities.
0: Great. Can you talk to me about the challenges and the opportunities in dermatology today?
2: Yeah, sure. I've spent the last eleven years in derm, and I would say it's a really special area to me because you know you're not only working with physicians and healthcare providers that are truly unique, but the skin is really really interacts with everybody every day. It's our largest organ and everybody is seeing what's going on day in and day out, there's no hiding it. I just think it's really the challenges we're seeing today is is really number one is around innovation. I think there's been a lot of focus of bringing molecules to market, but in today's scope, especially in the North American markets or in the US specific is you not only can bring innovation, but you, you have to ensure there's access to that innovation. So if you ask any physician, or any patient or anybody else in the healthcare space, their number one comment is, we need innovative products that are accessible. Like that'll come up number one. I think number two is go back to the word innovation. It's true innovation. So something novel, new mechanism of action, something that is hitting a different target, potentially changes the algorithm of how treatments are provided to patients that eventually could save the system money. I mean, these are things that really dermatology fights with. You have dermatologists seeing 60, 70, 80 patients a day. They don't have time to potentially understand each and every benefit provider plan that's out there for each patient. It's truly complex. And as we say, then these patients go to pharmacies and potentially are talking to very young individuals behind a counter that don't know their insurance. So I think access and innovation are there. I do also think in dermatology specific, there's been a lot of consolidation that sometimes can change the voice of the specialty upwards politically, either at the state or at the national level. And it, it's positive and it can be perceived negative. You know, to me, it's, it's neither here nor there. It's part of the evolution where we're seeing private equity purchase more dermatology practices, own more of the space accordingly, both medically and aesthetic. I think the key thing in dermatology that remains the same is you have physicians that are truly unique. It is personal. Everybody is vested, whether you're academic or you're in the private setting. And I've never seen a more intimate personal space that truly cares. I felt it in ophthalmology and I feel it even more so in dermatology. And our board of directors here at Dermaban sees it. It is a personal touch space where they truly know the company And they truly expect us to deliver on innovation each and
1: every day. Great. Thanks, Todd. A follow-up question. We've been seeing a lot of news over the last couple of years around new startups focusing on or at least having an asset focused on dermatology. Curious to hear from you how the private funding environment and perhaps generally sentiment around dermatology is now compared to, let's say, a decade ago or so.
2: I get the opportunity to talk to the investor community every day, and, and I do think that there's a lot of excitement around dermatology. But just like anything an investor will look at, they're looking at really some key points. They're looking at clinical differentiation. What is different about what you're bringing? What's your commercial or story in the market? How are you going to take clinically and drive it commercially? And does it make sense At the payer level, at least in the United States, where 60% of the global value of the derm market resides in the spaces we play with at Dermaban. And then lastly, they're just basically wanting to know the intellectual property of your story. So they want to see really clinical evidence, commercial evidence, and they want to see the intellectual property backing. And they want to see that tenure of your story. So I think, Rahul, to your question, it's really interesting. It's really this bond of, it's not just derm. You've got to hit these markers, and then you've got to do what you say and say what you do. And it's less about how pretty the slide looks, and it's more about the results that you're going to deliver on a quarter-to-quarter basis to prove your thesis. And I think in dermatology, there's been numerous success stories, and let's be honest, there's been numerous failures in any space. And I think with Dermavant, what we believe in is we have a team and a culture that has over 150 plus years of experience. And our message is, look, we have a lot of smart men and women in this organization. We've proven to you clinically what our products will do. Allow us to prove it to you commercially and let us earn your trust and respect. Don't give it. We'll earn it over time and deliver. And I think that's where our investors believe and they see the science with this group of people and they get excited. So I think dermatology is extremely bullish right now. But they're bullish on pure innovation, not older molecules repackaged, not older targets repackaged. They're looking for new and innovative that will change and transform the space. That's why I get excited because I think DermaVant has that.
1: Excellent. And thank you for setting this up so nicely. So let's learn a little bit more about DermaVant, what you all are working on, and what it's like to work with the RoyVant.
2: DermaVant, when they came to me in 2018, our chairman of Roy Van, our van chair, Frank Tordy, came and Myrtle Potter at that time interviewed me. And I have to say, it's it's exciting. It's all great people. And when you see people coalescing around a project and really gelling, you want to be part of that. And I think at Dermavan, we've got great assets in our pipeline led by our marquee in Tipinara, which is an aryl hydrocarbon modulating agent that really works between psoriasis and atopic dermatitis and is novel as a mechanism of action. So there you have a molecule that pivots between two of the largest disease states in dermatology, a $30 billion market, 21 billion of that sits in psoriasis and AD begging for innovative mechanisms of action topically to be delivered. And then behind that, four other molecules that we have in our pipeline, and latinib and our oral for hyperhidrosis, as well as an earlier-stage acne asset. So for us, it's extremely exciting. And you're really just building up a company. You're taking Topineroff as our lead asset. Currently, for psoriasis, our NDA was filed on May 26. So we'll hear in the near term if we're able to achieve NDA acceptance and move to a potential launch in 2022. We're starting our phase 3 trial for Tepinarov in atopic dermatitis here in the next month. So we're extremely excited about the ability to bring that indication forward as well. And we're advancing all of our other assets. So for us at this point, Raul, it's exciting. We're sitting here with, you know, close to 100 individuals as employees. Everybody truly understands and all of them have between 10 and 25 years derm experience. And we're sitting here with a lead molecule that is what I had shared with you. It's a novel asset, novel mechanism. It not only is delivering efficacy, but delivers durability and remittive effects, remission effects, meaning stopping the drug patients are remaining clear for four months and beyond, which is amazing, and great safety and tolerability. And we're following it up with really great things behind it. So I think as at Dermavant, we're set up right now We're really just about execution. And I tell the company this in all of our town hall meetings, it's we're an execution story right now. We have to do what we say and say what we do and do it around our products and our people and then kind of earn that trust and respect from the investor marketplace, from the physicians, the patients, and the payers. Because the patients that participated in our phase three clinical and psoriasis are asking us to move faster. They're saying, this product has had a great impact on me. Please move faster. Please get this to market. And I think as employees, we have a responsibility to do that. I think you asked about the question of our owner and our lead investor in Royvant. And I can only tell you, it's been an absolute pleasure. The innovation that Vivek has brought as really the founder of Royvan and our current CEO in MacLine, constantly out there looking to support Dermavant with tech resources, data resources, our ability to ensure we're looking at artificial intelligence for potential future targets. I mean, to have somebody as your parent who sets you up to win the way Royvan does and listens and pivots to ensure that this team is able to execute, I haven't found a better partner in my 23 years in the space. And I would tell you it's so early for our owner and Royvan as well as for Dermavan, that I get chills just thinking about what the years ahead holds for both of us.
1: Out of curiosity, you know, for a team that is still relatively nimble, it's quite impressive that you have such a late-stage asset. As you think about managing a team as you prep for commercialization as well as progress you know, fairly robust R&D pipeline ahead, curious to hear any thoughts or mental models or lessons learned that you're able to share around you know, keeping the pace up, as far as the pipeline is concerned, while you have this very compelling event coming up in the near future?
2: It's a great question. And you asked me a while back about the similarities between APAC and the US. And I would go back to what every single mentor I've had in my career, from people like Roy Acosta at Alcon to Berto Antunes and Stuart Ratesman at Galderma and to Mark Foley you know, at Zeltique, It's people are everything. So if you're going to be in a startup mode you're gonna sit down with your human resource leader, your vice president of human resources, and you're gonna map what is the EQ, the emotional quotient, and the IQ of the individuals you need. What are the psychographics that are gonna work for this environment? You know, what are we gonna need? Our values at Dermaban are around heart, mind, and soul. And we talk about this concept of a Swiss army knife. You need somebody that can pivot, that's agile, adaptable, and accountable. And as a leader, that is gritty and not going to look to hide, but going to look to execute amongst a very flat, non-siloed organization. That's the DNA we look for when we bring employees in, and we find the best woman or man to come into this company because that's what's going to set us up to win. I think that role, coupled with really our commitment to clarity, you know, we over-communicate at this organization. We over-communicated through COVID-19 and the pandemic, which enables us to form this, what I call Thanksgiving Day culture. We have a very warm culture around the table where people are sharing ideas. It's a very open, speak-up type culture at Dermot And I do feel it's special in the fact that we run fast, we keep alignment, and we have total clarity while we're doing it. And that enables us to make sure that everybody feels like to be very honest, nobody wants to let anybody down. You know, no one's looking to hide and get a paycheck. They want to see to launch launched for psoriasis in twenty two. They want to see it launched for atopic dermatitis behind it, and they know doing that we're bringing the first you know non steroid topical once a day cream in a space that's been dominated by steroids and really moved too quick to orals and injectables. So a non-steroidal is exactly what the dermatology marketplace has been asking for, but a non-steroidal that acts and behaves really with the efficacy levels and the durability and remittance that the dermatologists count on for their patients. That's kind of what we look for. It goes back to the DNA of the people you bring into this organization. And that's what we've looked for, people that are agile, adaptable. And, you know, the words I used this morning to our medical affairs meeting that I had was you have to be able to have thick skin and be able to hear the impact fast, because there's no hiding in this company in any startup. It'll take two minutes to know who knows it and who doesn't know it. And we try to make sure we vet that through the hiring process.
0: That's great, Todd. And this is a little personal for me. I have a friend who suffers with psoriasis flare-ups and the ability to get that under control affects his ability to work and make friends and find love. So I know how important it is to get a condition like this under control. What I'm wondering is what comes next for dermatology over the next, say, 30 years?
2: It's a great question. I mean, you're seeing products pharmaceutically developed in dermatology. You're seeing them developed from a medical technology perspective as well as consumer dermatology. Really, you know, I think what we do need, and really what begs the question is we need to make sure that access is addressed. And, you know, I think when I say access, I don't just mean managed care and and payers and PBMs, which sometimes confuse people. I don't think companies understand the interaction at the point of sale. And whether they're specialty pharmacies or whether they're, you know, the larger chain pharmacies. I really think that as we have more consumer healthcare, there needs to be more expertise built into this system. So you're not only bringing innovation to the marketplace, helping patients in their disease states, but you truly understand the point of sale. And when I say point of sale, I mean that the patient gets what the physician wants and the company takes the time to not just do the study and put on a fancy TV commercial to promote the product, but really follows through all the way down to the counter, either at that specialty or nail order pharmacy or chain pharmacy, that's number one to me that that takes place. I think, secondly, you're seeing it in the advancements through what we saw in the pandemic. And I think dermatology is unique to this is you can do mass amounts of telemedicine in dermatology. And I think you're seeing it really grow across the global marketplace, both in Asia, Europe, Latin America and the US is being able to serve the 7 billion plus across the world in a way that live is always going to be best. But if people need to be seen, we have to make sure that they're seen and there's been small steps forward, but I think we're starting to see greater and greater across this space to ensure that we take things to the next level. So, you know, for me, I think every time it, it sounds basic because I don't want to give sometimes it's not the sexiest answer that that wins, it's Access is a problem across the globe. And I do think in this country, in the United States, it's paramount. And I don't see companies spending enough time to make sure that they work through that. And I think that's something that as a leader myself, we've hired within our commercial, our managed cares, our analytics, and our digital groups to not only be great at marketing a product, but to really make sure that when we deliver a promise to physicians that Patients will get this product and they'll get it at a reasonable price that we can deliver on that. And those are things from an access perspective that I think in dermatology has to be addressed. Otherwise, what's going to happen is the innovation launch curves are going to be much slower. Companies are going to take much longer to be successful and they're going to get frustrated and maybe not spend as much in certain areas. And dermatology is one of them where if we solve it, I think it gets better for everybody.
1: And Todd, out of curiosity, just on that point, Are you seeing patient sentiment now be much more focused on additional therapeutics to come into the clinic and out to market? Are we at that place now, you know, as the pendulum swings in every therapeutic area and in every disease that the market starts to get saturated? It sounds like what you're seeing, Todd, is that the patients are requesting for more and there just isn't enough out there. Is that a good summation of where we are now?
2: Yes and no. I mean, I would say, number one, I don't disagree with you. I think dermatology
1: is exploding.
2: I think the awareness of the digital innovation world, that the internet, you know, at the end of the day whether it's medically or aesthetic wise in dermatology, you know, I believe all markets are growing across the board, medically and aesthetically, and they're booming with good reason as, as patients are more conscious and more educated about their skin. My point on the medical side is just I do believe that there's a deep focus on innovation and access. And that goes back a little to what I had said is It's not just the PBMs and the payers that we like to say are challenges. It's the point of sale, meaning each company has to make it turnkey that a patient does not have a problem. And if that's not part of your launch plans in today's world, when you bring a new product to market, then that's a problem. If you're not hiring deep expertise, these people are what I call sharks. They're not great commercial or great marketers or great salespeople. These are people that are mathematical geniuses that understand that that patient is not gonna lose that prescription when they go to receive that. That's number one. I think the second thing you're seeing in dermatology that I think is a revolution coming, and that's where Dermavan is delivering, is most spaces have moved from older mechanisms of action to newer modalities. And so we could go through a migraine space, the diabetic space, the gastro space. I think in dermatology, 83% of medicines are topical. Okay, Only 17% are oral and injectable. However, on the topical side, almost 90% of medicines, at least when you talk about psoriasis and atopic derm, are steroids. Steroids have massive limitations. So the next horizon, or really the next frontier, that we're transforming is being able to deliver efficacy, durability, remittance, safety, tolerability, in a non-steroid, topical, I believe that's really what we're bringing with Tepeneron. That's what will transform the market with our lead asset. That's what the patients want. They don't want another steroid or another oral or another injectable. They want something that is so brand new that it not only will give them the great outcome they expect, but it potentially will also benefit the system. And I think that's really where you're seeing companies focus on rare diseases, you're seeing companies focus on mechanisms that are unhit targets. And that's why I came to Dermavan, because an aero hydrocarbon modulating agent, the TAMA MOA, will be brand new to dermatology. No one is there. And at the same time, not just be efficacious. I mean, that's getting in the door. I mean, being able to deliver durable results, meaning the medicine never gets tachyphylactic over time, you don't lose effect. And second is when you stop our medicine, the effect lasts for four months median. We've had patients go well beyond that, that are staying clear, in a topical. That's what I think patients want in Durham. They want new, and they want to get away from the steroid overusage. It doesn't mean stop steroids, but I think it really wants to stop the older technology usage that has massive
1: limitations. Great. Thanks, Todd, for clarifying that important point. To wrap up, and particularly for our younger listeners, would love to hear from you about you know, one thing that you wish you could have told your younger self as you were embarking on your career that you've learned along the way.
2: Yeah, that's an easy one for me to answer now at, at close to 50 is, I would say that, you know, there's a great book that I made both my kids read called you know, Love is the Ultimate App. And it talks about three things. It talks about you know, maintaining curiosity which I think my father instilled in me for my life talks about the importance of connectivity and connections. And I'm proud of the fact of how globally connected I've been able to get through my career experiences and personal experiences. But the last one has been, you know, to be honest and a little vulnerable at the end is just, I would say to the young listeners is just don't lose compassion and empathy, you know, assume positive intent. You know, the world is good. People are good at the heart of things and I think sometimes at a younger stage in your career, you're so caught up in moving up in the next position, the growth in your career. I could have been a little more empathetic and compassionate at times. And I think as you get older and wiser and you listen more than speak, you realize that. And you know, I try to implement that, not just in my professional life, but my personal life and try to work on it on a day-to-day basis.
1: Well, Todd, thank you for sharing that salient advice. And thank you for joining us today, wishing you and your team continued success. And we'll certainly all be rooting for the Dermavan team as you wait to hear about your NDA submission and your progress plan.
2: Thank you for having me. And we do have a, a really special group of people at Dermavan. Without them, Dermavan Sciences wouldn't be what it is today. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.